Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 29th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, good to have y'all on, and it's just going to be the three of us. Uh, no guests tonight, but we got lots to talk about, so we think we're going to be okay. Um, we're only going to do one national topic. Well, we're going to do one Trump-specific topic, and then we're going to try to get to some other stuff, because honestly, um, was it just me, or did he make less news than usual? And I mean, not everybody can keep up his crazy pace, even him. Um, Catherine, did he seem like he did less or made less fuss this week than normal? Yeah, it did seem that way. He'll make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not saying the baby slept through the night, but I guess you had, we had to change the diaper a little less, right, Tim? Yeah, I guess. Well, he he uh, he had his uh, good old Twitter storm this morning, and, and he could have been a little bit quieter because he wasn't traveling as much and uh, didn't see as many people to insult worldwide. So uh, uh, mo- yeah. mostly mostly his wars this week have been with Michael Cohen that we'll get to in a minute. And, of course, with his favorite bogeyman, the media. So, Yeah, and probably he was probably a little bit worn out from the, the international trips he took. Uh, recently, but uh, Tim, you segued right into it, and that's a, a good place to start. We didn't get to it last week, although it more and more came out. Uh, his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, I get the sense that he told Michael Cohen, and Michael Cohen knew about things that Ivanka—I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, Ivanka didn't know about, Melania didn't know about, Don Jr. didn't know about, um, Eric didn't know about. Probably the two right-hand people. Only Apprentice didn't know about. Um, and so they were really, really close, and that relationship seems to have about 100% completely dissolved. Um, Catherine, uh, what did you think about how things unraveled? Well, it's clear that uh, Cohen has all the receipts and all the tapes and all the all the information, and he seems to be ready to – let it out. Should be interesting to yeah. see how we how things go forward. What's all in there? Yeah. You know, we've heard some of it. Yeah, Tim, he's definitely releasing tapes and other information. Do you think this is just because he feels Donald Trump's turned his back on him and he's just letting the world know? Or is this part of a bigger plea deal or something to do with the uh, possibly cr- criminal ramifications. Well, obviously Cohen is is disappointed. A good word that his friend Donald Trump hasn't come to his rescue. I think so. He feels that Trump's abandoned him, so he's going to go ahead and cooperate. Uh, and uh, the one that one of the more damning things, of course, that come out. With with the with the stuff going on this week is uh, it's obviously reported that uh, Cohen is going to be talking about the fact that Trump did know about the June ninth, twenty sixteen meeting with the Russians in Trump Tower that has become so famous. I think CNN has put out this story. Uh, the the case, obviously, for either collusion or conspiracy with Russia, 
and Donald Trump is much stronger than it was if Cohen's latest pronouncement is true. He's been known as Trump's spokesperson to, shall we say, stretch the truth himself in the past. Uh, but, but we hear now, for the first time, somebody with knowledge of the situation say that Trump both knew and approved of that meeting. So... Um, Buckle up. Here we go. Yeah, and Catherine, we kind of knew first about Michael Cohen's relationship, at least in a political sense, with Donald Trump through Stormy Daniels and then later the the playmate. And um, you kind of wonder how much traction that's going to have with the Republican voters, his base, because, I mean, if we find out it's five more porn stars and five more playmates, if they're okay with one – that may not turn them off. Is the real problem going to come if it has to do with Russia or other matters besides these, to use a phrase from two decades ago, bimbo eruptions? Uh, I think can all sort of pile up. I, I, I think people uh, don't like to be lied to. And clearly he's been lying. Now that may you know, some of his supporters may overlook that, but I think there are, uh, I mean, I think that was one of the things that um, got Bill Clinton in trouble was even though they might not have disapproved of what he did, they didn't like the fact that he lied about it. And um, I know we're probably, we're way beyond that kind of uh, lie now than we were then, but I certainly think Russia will have an impact, but I, I think that you know, now that we have the tape of him saying, you know, pay her, pay her in cash, uh, and we know that he knew about that payoff, I think that if um, if that if enough of that gets reported and it's talked about enough, I think that's um, sort of uh, that could those kind of lies sort of chip away eventually if there's more and more of them. But Russia certainly yeah. isn't going uh, to. Yeah, Tim, what do you think could be the undoing, or if there is one, an undoing, or is there, or is Donald Trump so Teflon with his base it doesn't matter what Michael Cohen knows? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if the bimbo eruptions angle will, will do much. There has been so much of that to, to go on, that, and it does not seem to have phased his base in any way. And I don't know if anything will really space his hardcore base. Maybe we shouldn't worry about them. But this other thing, Cohen obviously is ready to testify to everything he's been saying under oath. Now, Trump and Trump Jr., a total of 20 times have repeatedly said that Trump knew nothing of this meeting. And if Cohen is telling the truth, that means that they lied. Not only did they lie, but they lied about Russia. If proved, this would unravel Trump's entire dialogue about the Russia connection. This would sound like a criminal conspiracy. Of course... Cohen has no corroboration on this, but if some could uh, come forward, it would tie everything together. Let's don't forget about Trump doing things like drafting that statement when this first became public. Uh, This this is a a big item. Uh, Cohen really might know where all of the bodies are buried, guys. He, he he might know enough to really sink Donald Trump and several people close to Donald Trump. Uh, the Russia thing is not going to go away. It, it's just not. Right? Now, you don't think it, I mean, I don't think it will either. Some Republican officials might try to help Donald Trump make it go away, but then the more 
smoke there is, I think the harder it'll be to um, let it go away. And then the election's going to get closer. They're having to deal with a budget deal. And if the, they lose control of the House, could they try to do a move where they get rid of the special counsel between the time they lose power and the time they officially cede power? But then another special counsel could be appointed. Don't That's know if they could correct. reappoint Robert Mueller. Don't know if they could then they could. the new yeah. lawyer, if he could or she could um, – uh, you know, pick up and use all that information. Who knows? So time's really um, running short on any kind of move like that. So at some point, Donald Trump's going to have to be accountable for it. And this, an ally like, you know, Michael Cohen is one to tell what he knows. I, I don't see how that's good for really any of the Trump family, because the more you hear about the Russian meeting, Donald Trump Jr. is as much at risk as anybody in the Trump family. That's um, correct. So, you know, we shall see. Kyle, let's piggyback onto that with a topic I didn't plan to get to, but it just makes sense here. Is um, <laughs> the report, I guess it was yesterday, um, I read it on Political Wire, it's probably on a different source, talking about how Russian hackers have turned their attention to America's electrical grids, not so much elections. Now, they may pick back up on elections when they happen. Uh, they may have two sets of hackers working. We don't know. Um, but they're they're looking at electrical grids. Now, we've seen polling that a lot of Republicans are just, you know, I, I guess their mindset is we've been taught that Democrats are evil. And so, therefore, even if it's the Russians, if they're trying to stop the evil Democrats, I don't care what the Russians do. They become the good guys, if you will, as perverse as that may sound. Well, when we all turn on our light switch, whether we're Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative, black, white, straight, gay, we all get our electricity pretty much the same way around the country, pretty much around the world. I mean, I know there's some different voltage frequencies and whatnot. And so if we find out that the Russians are starting to mess with our electricity, and if they mess with electricity, the Republican and the Democratic neighbors – area is going to go out just the same um if we find out that the russians are starting to do that is this going to be something that changes the polls and minds i guess more importantly of how americans and particularly republican trump leaning americans feel about russians if they start messing with our power sources Catherine. um well yes I think it will. I don't know if it will. I don't know if it will have an impact on everyone. You know, some people will think it's. You know, we'll blame it on the electrical utilities. Some people will say it was bound to happen, and you know, somebody just took advantage of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are in complete defend mode when it comes to Donald Trump, but it is scary to think about that about the grid going down. I've seen all those, you know, dystopian movies <laughs> where the power grid goes down and everything goes crazy. So um, it, it's, a, it's a scary thought to think that someone would be messing with it. And um, to think that it's the Russians makes it even that much scarier because they don't seem to have much concern for everyone's welfare if they're going to be do, doing something like that. So, um, but what effect it has on the electorate. I mean, if the power goes out, we're not really going to be worried about that. We're going to be worried about, you know, our mother in the hospital or, you know, our air conditioning, our ability to go to work, our, you know, all those things, schools, everything. So, I mean, it would be a, I'm not sure. We really don't know how, yeah, we don't know how the you know it w- would happen if anything happens. It might just be that they want to be able to take control, uh, which is scary enough as it is. But how what they would do with it, we don't know. But the fact that we have the political party in charge asleep at the wheel and not worrying about um, you know the fact that the Russians could be into more than just our elections is bad enough as that is um, is something to think about. Tim, you saw that article too. 
um, what would be the political ramifications if people find out that there's much more to this than we already know? Well, um, you know, the political ramifications of the Russians attacking are something as vital to our national security as our power grid and us being able to prove that the Russian government was behind it, if we did all that, it would constitute an act of war. I I would see no alternative realistically but where we could do anything but interpret that as a direct act of war by by an enemy. I, uh, how how else could that be interpreted? How could anyone defend Russia and, and talk their way out of it? No, no, no. That would be an act of war. I mean, seriously, we we it, we would have to mobilize our armed forces. That that would be an act of, of of war. They they surely surely they wouldn't be foolish enough to pull a stunt like this. Foolish, uh, surely. Even Trump couldn't sit there while they did that. Well, I don't know that moron. Or oh, never mind. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't want to get into name calling. I think I've already used every name imaginable in the <laughs> English language to refer to Donald Trump. But even he could not sit there and endure something like this. And the American people would not sit there and and, and endure it. And the reason is. It would affect every household in this country in a negative way. They would demand something be done, right? Yeah, and I, I will say this. I think he could ignore it because he's ignored everything else they've done. This is the point which his base, I think, would leave him. I mean, uh, you know, you know, working by candlelight um, would be a bigger problem than thinking about having a Democrat in office. Um, so his voters mm-hmm. would go ahead and leave that. And then I think his party, the other leaders, um, the ones that might actually want to be leaders, not followers, they might realize that if nothing were done here, then their party and brand would suffer a much more rapid um, decline than it may anyway You know, for just not handling the uh, country's business. I think there are some that are leery of Russia. And the Republican Party, they just don't feel like they can act on it for whatever reason, or the ones that have had the political courage to stand up. A lot of those get drummed out. Um, but it, that would change. I, I think that they would feel safe and, and emboldened enough to stand up to Donald Trump and whatever weird – and it's not a special relationship like we have with Britain for how many ever years. It's a weird relationship that he has with Russia. Because he seems to overlook everything Vladimir Putin does, and um, just knowing how computerized our world is, if you can hack into the electrical system, what else can you get into? You know, a lot of cars have automobiles have um, computer systems. The internet runs on a computer, and, and so much of our world is now tied to the information superhighway. I mean, someone's going to have to begin to tell the story and get people to see that there are implications and Vladimir Putin is not a good guy and you can still have conservative beliefs within our within our American country and not just roll over on your back when you deal with Vladimir Putin. I mean John McCain's one that he's as conservative as you can find in so many ways, but he's gonna Look after American interest and not just roll over for a dictator like Vladimir Putin. Um, that, that's well, just what's let me so hard to believe. Is go ahead, Caxton. Well, yeah. what if Putin said I didn't have anything to do with it? It was some, you know, you know they may be Russian, but I, I'm looking for them too. I can't believe they did this. I, I did not support this. Well, then you just have to use uh, your judgment, and I, I think imagine. a lot of Americans' judgment would say we don't trust Vladimir Putin, but not uh, a lot of Donald I Trump. Would imagine, I would imagine at that point that uh, a building in St. Petersburg uh, that a lot of this hacking has been coming from would suddenly explode, and then we could say we didn't have anything to do with that and see how it <laughs> escalates. 
Uh, we could not stand by. If Donald Trump stood by while that happened, Donald Trump would not be president for long. I, I, there is no way that anybody in their right mind could leave that man in the White House. If he sat there and watched our power grid, something as integral as that to the security of this country get attacked and us know that the Russians did it. He, You know, if our intelligence services can all agree on the fact that the Russians hacked into our election, uh, they could certainly quickly find out if they were attacking our power grid as well, I, I, w- I would think. It, the, the proof would be there, and and I don't think anyone would turn their back on it this time because, like I said, it would affect every household, every business, every human being that draws a breath of air in this country would all be in the same boat, and that boat would be the angry boat. And, <laughs> yeah. We, it, it would be an act of war. It would have to be treated as such. I, I hope, by the way, this is not true, that they're not even considering doing something as foolish as, as that. I, I think they're seeing if they can, because there's obviously we've heard about this since, um, you know, around the election time that they've looked into this. I don't know if they have the capability to do anything, and I don't know if they have the desire, hopefully, to do anything but just the fact that we are not in any way at the executive level of our government putting a check on it is still extremely problematic. Um, yeah. Hopefully this is not a story we have to keep talking about because that means there will be more and more problems. be good not to have to talk about this again, but it was just too much not to discuss it this week. Um, well, let's kind of talk about – we've kind of gotten to some political implications. I want to talk about something else that really could – it could be something that happens in all 50 states, but so far it's actually happened more in red states. Uh, towards the end of last school year, and I think we did mention it, there were several states, Arizona, um, Kentucky, Oklahoma, West Virginia, to name four, where they actually walked out, um, protested, had rallies for teacher raises and better educational funding in general. And, um, was met with varying degrees of success. Uh, Oklahoma, I had no idea how poor the pay was there, even though I'm a teacher, um, until their walkout happened there. And it sounds like anything that was granted was taken away. And Vice News recently uh, posted a video talking to about 20 different teachers that left the educational profession, aren't planning on going back to school to teach next year. Um, And... You you could tell they kind of gave up, and, and that, that's really sad. But I just got the gut feeling after watching that video, I would say 19 out of 20 people in that video, I didn't count them, they made more than 20, and I remember one minority face, um, African-American woman, uh, in that video, almost all white teachers. And it was like they didn't feel they had any recourse. And given that in most states, education is the – number one expenditure of state governments, you would think that they would understand that the ballot box is a recourse. And Oklahoma's a very Republican state, has a Republican governor who actually mocked them, like they were spoiled teenagers asking for a new car, a Republican legislature who um, really didn't seem to give me support. And it was almost in that video you felt like that those teachers and probably more didn't have the feeling that they could go to the ballot box and elect new leaders, in particular, most likely, the other party, because one party wants low taxes and small government, and government spending really doesn't meet those goals real well, so you got to actually have to have some government spending, and that's probably going to take some taxes. Um, but you just I got that sense that they really didn't see that as an option. Um, Catherine, I, I sent the video to you and Tim. What were your thoughts on it? Well, you know, it was very sad to me. I mean, I've, there were, you know, a number of teachers who've been teaching for many years who seem to be very devoted to their students and classes and to the whole, you know, uh, process of education. And it just seemed awfully sad that they were leaving 
this profession that they've devoted some of them many years, some of them not as many years, but had devoted so much time to. So that was depressing. I think we've all had those teachers, hopefully more than one, that really seem devoted to our, our um, success as students. I certainly had a few of them as I was fortunate. But um, I think that when you live in a state that is completely controlled by um, one party, that you do feel a sense of, um, of you know, not, that there's no, um, no way out. Um, I mean, I think there's some people who feel that way in Georgia, um, I think we're getting through that. We're getting over it. We're, we've had some success. We hope to have some more success. Um, so I'm not surprised that they feel that way. Plus, some of them were working, you know, at least two jobs. Some of them were working three. So what time do they have really to devote to figuring out which candidates are going to be re- good, good representatives for the schools? Which, you know, how much time do they have to really – even vote. I mean, some of the, they were talking about how they went to school, then they went to work, then they went home and had dinner, and then they went to work again. So um, I think many of us are very fortunate that we have jobs where we can be sure that we can vote. We have time in our lives to investigate candidates, but a lot of people don't, or they don't know how. So I think this is a really good example of how important voter education is. Yeah, I, I just I still get back to that. I think there's so many um, white Americans, rural white Americans, that just don't see the Democratic Party as an option. Um, and if you could then take a group like teachers that have a vested interest in government spending, you could begin to change some of the political calculus. Um, Tim, you saw the video as well. What were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I, I sort of feel the same way um but but uh you know you can pick up a history book and read it and see which party is historically the party of education in this country have we become so partisan that just the thought of voting for anyone different is just absolute anathema to us no matter what those in office are presently doing or are failing to do. And obviously, uh, the government in that state has failed those teachers. And, you know, those teachers that vote, they probably went out and voted for those people that are now doing these things to them. Well, that would convince me to vote for someone else. Um, you know, even I am partisan as I am, guys. I have cast eight Republican votes in my life, and uh, some sometimes there's just you just have to vote for one person over a, another because one person is just simply better for you than another person is. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, the Democratic Party. Uh, and and its office holders represent me, but there's always one out there somewhere. For instance, a fellow that I knew was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I would never have voted for that man, and I didn't care who I was voting for in his stead. They had to be better. What do these teachers think is a way to change all of this, if not at the ballot box? David, you made that point. That is the first place they should go and change it. And if they're not going to go there and change it, then I hate to tell them, but their situation is hopeless because you're going to have the same people in office that have been doing all of this all along, and they're going to feel that their continued election is a justification of the policies that they have been acting and acting, and I guess they would be right if nobody goes and votes against them. Yeah, I just – it seems like it's there. Now, I'm going to get into Kentucky real quick. Um, there uh, Wasn't their Speaker of the House, the majority leader, one of the prominent Republican elected officials, he actually got successfully primaried by a teacher um, that was in that community, and, and he got defeated. Now, I will say this. That, that guy that was the teacher, he was very conservative on guns. He was very conservative on abortion. 
He was not a Democrat in any way, shape, or form. He was, he was a Republican, but then he was his education stance and his stance on educational spending was much like we'd assume would be a Democrat. Um, even if there's those teachers that just couldn't begin to vote Democratic, and um, could they possibly even get active in the Republican Party? That seems to me the harder route, um, but is that a recourse they could take, Catherine? Well, sure. I mean, that's a, another option is for them to try to change their own party if they're, you know, longtime Republicans. But like you said, that's going to be a harder road to hoe because education costs money and money means, you know, either uh, raising taxes or uh, changing the way that you uh, distribute the money. So, you know, less for this and more for education. Uh, so, I mean, that's absolutely a – I mean, that's the best reason to get involved in a um, political party is if there's something that you don't like that they're doing and you want to make change. If you agree with them on most things, but there's this one part, then that's a good reason to get involved. Yeah, I just – it seems like that would be something that's pretty clear when you – Particularly look at state government. Um, it's so education funding and policy is so central to what state government does, much more so than a, a federal government. Um, so it seems like you could begin to change minds at the state level, where you know you still may have full voting at the federal level for Republicans. You could get more state voters, and that could change some state houses, some state uh, governors' mansions. Um, Tim, what do you think about? Could this become an effort, if not on a nationwide basis, on a state-by-state basis with local education groups? Well, that is a possibility that they could uh, do some of that in in the, in the Republican Party. Uh, on the other hand... When they give two-thirds of their vote in that state, as they did, they gave, I think Trump got 65% of the vote in Oklahoma. And uh, then he appoints Betsy DeVos, you know, to run the Department of Education, uh, who probably stands against everything that any public school teacher in this country stands in favor of. When it starts at the federal level, there's just so much they can do at the state level if they're going to go and vote to cut their throats at the federal level as well. You you have to decide from the White House all the way down to the courthouse uh, who represents your interests. And, and I'm here to tell those people that it's not Donald Trump, it's not the National Republicans. They don't represent their interests. They're not going to represent their interests. And furthermore, those in the state house in Oklahoma are not representing their interests, and obviously uh, all the way down to the courthouse level as well. Those people are going to have to see that. Uh, they They could try to affect some change in the Republican Party, but I really think that they should look uh, for an alternative in the Democratic Party. Yeah, to me, that's the easier route. Now let's bring this to Georgia. We're going to use this as our segue to get into, um, uh, you know, some Georgia looking ahead to the general election. Uh, We know Stacey Abrams is pretty close. Um, Polls are showing her about two points down. Uh, We've only had one recent poll. I think another one's coming out. Um, from Gravis Marketing, our friends there. So, but the Survey USA showed this thing's really margin of error, and we know that you know Stacey Abrams has to put together a winning coalition, and odds are she's not going to get a majority of white votes. Uh, I mean, that's probably just not going to happen, given how Georgia's been. But proving uh, on that category would help, and seems like teachers might be a place to start because Georgia teachers, we got tons of raises during uh, Zell Miller's administration. We got some during the Roy Barnes administration. Uh, Sonny Perdue did nothing but cut our salaries. 
Nathan Deal was better and has been better than Sonny Purdue. Um, I will be fair there. But um, our pay is not compared to other states what it used to be, and then funding the classrooms is not um, where, well, throughout the 2000s until just a year or two ago when they really refunded QBE is not where it had been. Do you all think that that might be a way where Stacey Abrams could boost white vote for Democrats and for herself with teachers by maybe getting 5% more of the teacher vote than Jason Carter or Roy Barnes did in 2010? Catherine? Absolutely, and I'm sure she's working on that. Um, We gave us the short version. Uh, Tim? (laughs) Yes, school teachers uh, are certainly a route to to go. I mean, look, there's a hundred, there's a little over 180 school districts in the state that, and there's over 2,200 schools. And there's like 115,000 teachers, and they teach like 1.6 million students. And, and yes, it could have a massive effect if any statewide candidate could somehow get the school teachers' support as a block. I'm not talking about the organization. Like, for instance, if you got the endorsement of the GAE, I'm talking about the rank-and-file school teachers. If they were to support your program as a block, you've got ambassadors, you've got campaign workers in all 159 counties in this state, and school teachers are someone that everybody in every county knows. Yeah, They teach your children. You know them all. Of course people are going to listen to them. And, uh, man, it, it would be massive. Uh, it, it'd be, it'd be a, a, a one election. It, it really would, and it would be easily won if you could get that kind of mobilization. Unfortunately, that has not been the case in recent years, I'm sorry to say, with uh, – with, uh, a good portion of school teachers, union workers, and others that should be natural allies of the Democratic Party in Georgia. It just hasn't yeah, and, happened. I wish it would. And, and, Tim, you brought up teacher organizations, GAE, the most um, politically active. I mean, they're much more likely to endorse candidates and be politically active. Their Their president, Sid Chapman, was on the ballot and could not – even win the Democratic nomination. Um, so you have to then question, you know, their political clout at this point. If they can't even get their um, president elected as the nominee, not even as the school superintendent, just the nominee, um, you wonder how strong that organization is in a political manner. Um, and I think there's other cases. I, I think Ralph Nobles was on the ballot, and he's a former president. I don't think he won the year he ran either. Um, so that's something to have to look at. Uh, it, it just seems like a better angle than some. When you're attacking a, a problem that's pretty significant, you've got to find some way to, um, you know, figure out an end. And it's probably more likely than going to every gun show this fall um, to, to find white votes. Uh, getting teachers might be a little more palatable, knowing that, you know, educational policy and um, teacher raises and whatnot may come up. To be fair, I really have no idea anything about Brian Kemp's um, education policy, and that's because he didn't talk about anything substantive in all of his advertising. He just wanted to drive his truck around and talk about picking up illegals. That was the closest thing to an issue he talked about, and then blowing stuff up and how he has a chainsaw. And um, maybe, and this is kind of, I guess, segues to the next thing, now that we have Brian Kemp as a Republican nominee, Stacey Abrams as a Democratic nominee, is the general election, particularly on Brian Kemp's side, going to change where he's going to talk about real issues, or is he going to try to take this 
pickup uh-huh. truck chainsaw dynamite <laughs> campaign into the general election and uh, see if he can uh, get general election voters with this show, if you will. Catherine? I don't think he's going to talk about issues unless he has to. So only in debates. I don't think I don't think he cares about issues, and I think he's counting on people to be uh, to look at his image and his um, support from Donald Trump, and I think that's what he's going to run on. He might talk about immigration and gun rights, but I don't think he's going to talk about education or economic development or any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the thing that the current governor is sort of known for, I mean, that's kind of been his signature issue, has been, you know, job recruitment, and he wants to eschew that, um, which is it's a little bit I'm crazy to me. To um, I just don't think he wants to talk about it. That doesn't mean he he's not interested. He doesn't want it to happen. It's just that I don't think he has the um, eloquence to talk about those things. Do you, Tim? Yeah, Tim. I believe I believe that Kemp will try to fight a culture war. Yeah. Um, I don't believe in any way, shape, or form that this race will be about issues. Um, Stacey Abrams um, has her new voter project. And uh, she's putting that into action. And what we're going to find out in this election is that it's going to be about two things. Turnout and voter registration. Is Stacey Abrams' new voter project going to overcome Brian Kemp's uh, voter suppression efforts, you know, going back? To his time in office I think that's what we're looking at Um, Because less and less Whether we like to admit it or not In Trump's America There's no middle ground to fight over There's very few voters in the middle That are undecided That want to hear about issues And stuff like that That, that It is going to be about in this state and it's going to be the ultimate state case for everyone around the country to look at this thing is going to be about who is more energized to vote are they registered to vote and are they going to get out there and vote and if our voters get out there and vote and the other side don't do so so much who knows I think we got a four-point race right now. We're talking about a swing of 120,000 votes out of, you, you know, several million. Uh, if, if that little bit of bump happens, we could see a surprise in Georgia on election night. But this one's going to be a lot closer than recent ones. And, no, I don't, I don't believe it's going to be about issues at all. Well, and, and, okay, you may be right, Tim, but I want to ask – I don't want to frame it a little more – but is that good for democracy? And I'll tell you what I mean. When you talk about turnout and um, pumping up the you know, right side yeah. base and everything else, it sounds like it's the sophomore and the junior class fighting over a spirit stick at pep rally, it, not discussing issues. And what's yeah. sad about that is I, w- I would purport that I believe that a plurality, if not a majority, of Georgia voters are to the right of – I'm sorry, to the left of Brian Kemp closer to the center, and probably to the right of Stacey Abrams. They're in the middle of them, maybe closer to Stacey Abrams. If I had a gut feeling, because uh, Brian Kemp is so far to the right, I think they're closer to her, but I think they're more towards the middle. And they also, I think a lot of them care about just regular things like transportation, health care, education, economic development, who's going to bring jobs to Georgia. And to, to me, it seems like the, the candidate – that talked about that, and that probably could be Stacey Abrams since she seems to have a better foundation of government than Brian Kemp, that would help her with that group of voters, which, like I said, I'm almost positive is a plurality. Um, hmm. Jim, you said but, but I was going to pass it to Catherine. If you got a but, I'll let you jump in and let Catherine talk. 
Yeah, but she can put all that on a position paper that everybody exactly. can put in their newspaper or in a headquarters because if she runs the type of campaign that Casey Cagle ran and he was the policy wonk, you saw what happened to him against the good old boy that was talking about rounding up illegals in his pick up truck and this and that and the other. And frankly, Stacey Abrams is not going to change who she is and try to gravitate toward the middle either. Both candidates are who they are. I'm not saying that's good for democracy. It probably is not. But that's the kind of race we're going to have. We could not have a more stark contrast in any gubernatorial election in this country this year than what we have right now, and that's just where it's going to be. It's going to be about turnout and voter registration. It has to be. That's what the new voter project was all about, and that's what Brian Kemp, trying to suppress uh, Democratic votes, was about. Yeah. Uh, well, Catherine, I mean, I know that if you get into some long 10-point policy, I agree. It doesn't fit 30 seconds. But I guess I was spoiled. The first two elections I voted in were 1990, governor's race of Georgia, and 1992, presidential race. And both of those races, Zell Miller and Bill Clinton talked about issues, and they put it very succinctly. It's the economy stupid. Uh, the job is a great social program. Um, you know, take repeal the tax off of food, just succinct things. I mean, can't Stacey Abrams in a 30-second ad say that Amazon's going to drop 50,000 jobs in one swing into one state in our country, and that's going to come with I don't know how many more jobs, but this guy's going to screw it up, and I won't because he's crazy, and he's going to turn everybody off. I know she can't call him crazy, but you know what I'm saying, uh, out of step, whatever you want to say. And I'll bring those jobs. Can't she put that in a 30-second ad? Uh, I'm not sure she would put that in a 30-second ad because I'm not sure everybody is all gung, as gung-ho about the, about Amazon as every, as you might be, number one. Um, but I do think she can be um, – can talk about some things in a succinct way. But she's got to inspire the voters. That's the most important thing she has to do. And I don't know if everybody, if if you've seen this new ad that she has, where she, it's really good. She talks to all these different people, and she says, um, "We can do this. Um, we can make Georgia good for everyone. We can do it." Uh, you know, and I think having a positive outlook, projecting um, a positive view of Georgia. And um, that we can make Georgia work for everyone, I think, is a good message for her. And I hope she keeps that up. And also, um, I, I mean, I don't know what Brian Kemp is going to talk about because he doesn't have any experience except at the Secretary of State's office. And he did a terrible job of that. So I don't know, I don't know what, uh, what he's going to talk about except the, you know, drone of the Trump uh, sort of message, you know, build a wall, keep your guns, lower taxes. So I'm hoping yeah. that and, and what I'm hoping is that is that Stacey Abrams can run a positive campaign that inspires her inspires voters to get out and vote and talk to other people about voting. That's what I think what we need. We need a, you know, ground well of support for her that stretches across the state. And I think she's working. That's what she's working. So I'm hopeful. Well, and, and let me uh, kind of bring something else up. And I saw the very next day, I just happened flipping around on the 12 o'clock afternoon news. I wasn't even actually watching the newscast, but I saw an ad that a Republican outside group did. It showed a picture of Stacey Abrams, then it showed <laughs> – Nancy Pelosi, then it showed Hillary Clinton, and all it was about was Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi, and they like Stacey Abrams. I thought, that is weak. And then I saw one from the D, uh, the DGA that was a web ad, and it talked about how um, Brian Kemp was endorsed by Donald Trump, wants to cozy up, still making about somebody not in Georgia, 
And talking about they are going to attack each other, and, and Catherine, you made a good point bringing that up about Brian Kemp's time as Secretary of State. Um, how much are each candidate's weak spot or perceived weak spot, what have you, going to come up? And for Brian Kemp, that is – uh, running the Secretary of State's office probably as poorly as it's been run in Georgia and really one of the poorest in the country because if you look, I think the, the Russians infiltrated probably deeper in Georgia than any other state. And then, of course, with Stacey Abrams, I, I, and there is more to the story, but the back taxes and the um, personal debt. She talks about uh, that. Tim, how bad. much do you think? She talks about that. Uh, and that's smart to hang a lantern on I it, think but that's people, what I'm saying. How much do you think those are going to come up? I think it's going to come up, but I don't think it's going to hurt her. Well, what about him? I mean, both of them using both negatives. Oh, it's going to hurt him. To try to say how much is the negative going to come up? I think it's going to. I think his is going to come up, and I think it's going to. Uh, it's going to be negative because he, you know, he released all this personal data about our about with from our records, and I think people are very sensitive to that. We've all had, if not ourselves, know people who've who've had their personal information revealed and it's a big pain in the butt when it happens. And I think people, I think people are, are not happy about that kind of thing. Yeah. Tim, your thoughts on the negatives, how how big will they play? Well, it depends on who scores because I'm telling you, Brian Kemp's campaign is going to viciously attack her in every way, every day. And so are these Republican outside groups. Uh, They're going to make them very personal. They're going to do whatever it takes. Um, I, I, I hope I don't hear her utter the words I, I, I'm, I'm going to campaign above the fray because the people of Georgia deserve better which would be noble and it would also be a losing effort uh, you got you, you got you to hit a guy like Brian Kemp right in the mouth you, you know uh, this is Trump's America David you, you mentioned the first two campaigns you voted in uh, spoiled you. That's America 30 years ago. It's not American yeah. hell. It, 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 it's a different kind of place now. And and every Republican uh, candidate out there in states like Georgia and red states in particular, uh, they're going to be using Donald Trump's playbook to try to win this race. That's why Kemp's talking all that craziness, pointing guns and rounding up illegals in his pickup truck to drive to the border with them and this or that or the other. And that's going to be the kind of nonsense he talks that interlaced with attacks on her. He's not going to bring up his time as Secretary of State. I guarantee you that's not going to happen unless it's to say something about he fought against voter fraud, which, you know, is a <laughs> bread and butter red meat issue to that bunch. But uh, he, he he needs to excite his base the same way she needs to excite hers. And I still I, – I, remember I said this. It's going to be about turnout and voter registration. That's what this campaign's going to be about. It's not going to turn on an issue – or anything like that, it's going to turn on those two things. I really, in my heart of hearts, believe it. There, I've said it. I'm out on the limb with it. <laughs> well, well, and bringing that up, I mean, and this gets into, Brian Kemp ran a campaign where he, you know, threatened the boyfriend with a gun, and he, and he talked about illegal immigrants. You know, we've heard, remember in 2000, uh, Hillary Clinton ran against Rick Lazio, and he had to – and I think he made some missteps in the debate. He had to watch how he debated her, and he made some missteps. Now, Donald Trump didn't. He didn't pay for it. Um, but they say, you know, when a male candidate runs against a female candidate, there are certain ways you can frame yourself as the male candidate, and you're in trouble. Of course, you've got race that plays a part in this, too. And the campaign that um, Brian Kemp ran against Casey Cagle, to me, if you ran – that campaign against an African-American woman, 
it's going to look like something out of the 50s or the 60s, um, which I, I don't know. Maybe he wants to be the second in the less dramatic. Um, Catherine, do you think that he has pitfalls, or do you think he cares about how he campaigns and looks uh, against Stacey Abrams? I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares no. about, you know, whatever he, however he campaigns. I, I just don't think it's, you know, he wants to win and the people surrounding him want him to win and they don't really care if he attacks her unless they think it's going to be a losing strategy that way. I think they figure anybody who's going to, if, if that anybody's going to vote for Stacey Abrams is never going to vote for him. So they don't well, care about her. Even if it's 5% of the electorate, somebody's going to be persuadable or somebody's going to want to just sit it out uh, one way or the other. So there's got to be some play in there. It's less than it used to be. Tim, even – okay, let's say he wins. He becomes the face of Georgia. How does that affect him governing if he uh, just looks like, you know, let's come up with a better term if we can, but uh, the second coming of Lester Maddox? Well, I I think what he's going to do is quietly let the uh, big corporate folks in Atlanta know uh, on the never-never that uh, he's not exactly the guy they see on TV and that they really shouldn't be concerned about all of that. And that's how he'll smooth it over. Otherwise, he does not care one iota about what goes on in Atlanta because he ain't got that many votes to get there anyway. Uh, he, he he believes, as, as most political people do, that there are two Georgias, Atlanta and the rest of the state. And that's the way he's go- he's going for the rest of the state. And another thing I want to bring up here, David, is that, yeah, you can't run a, uh, just any kind of a race against, you know, an African-American female candidate. But uh, historically, African-Americans, Hispanics, other people of color have not registered to vote at the same percentages that white people have in this state. And he is depending on that holding form this year that older, more conservative, white voters will be the ones who will be registered in bigger numbers and in enough numbers for him to win. And those are the voters he's going after. She, with this new voter project of hers, is trying to change that dynamic. Right now, Hispanics, are nine percent of the nine percent uh, of the uh, citizenry of Georgia, and they're growing at an astronomical rate. There's a rich pool of Democratic voters to get right there if you can get them registered. That's the kind of thing she's doing. She's trying to drive the African American vote, and I don't blame her for this. Up to about thirty percent of the electorate. And if she were to register Hispanics in large numbers and get African-American, the African-American vote to burgeon enough to where it's 30% of the vote, with the white liberal vote, folks like me, you, Catherine, people like that, the more, even the more moderate Democratic voters around the state that'll, that'll vote for the Democratic nominee, that could be a winning formula. So I think I see what each candidate's going to try to do. And what are my two things I'm looking for? Voter registration and turning out your base. I think it all goes around yeah. that this year here. But but I will say this. If we look at these numbers in SurveyUSA, when they do a poll, they do a great job on cross tabs, uh, you know, and so you really know where the vote is. And you may come in, too that actually she was doing better in that survey USA poll among white voters than Jason Carter did. Um, so to me, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've been a football coach in the past. There's three phases of the game. And if you forget one, uh, he's good as, as well as you do on the other two, that one can beat you. So take care of all three phases of the game. I would not leave any stone unturned. I would try to take care of every possible route to win. Um, so therefore, 
maybe I do it too well and I win by four points and everybody's shot like, say, uh, Ralph Northam in Virginia. Um, we were going to try to contrast it with Texas, compare contrast. We just didn't get there. I have a feeling that campaign will keep going. Maybe we can do that sometime because those are probably – Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams probably get more attention from national uh, media and national Democrats than probably any other candidates running statewide. But they do kind of look at, um, you know, what's a winning coalition a bit differently, but we just didn't get there tonight. I um, hope, hope you enjoyed the show with no guest. Until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.